0: Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you gain a deeper relationship with your team. On today's episode, Mark Gregston sits down for a conversation with a couple of Heartlight's teens. For the past two decades, Heartlight has become the country's premier residential counseling center and boarding school for struggling teens. Founded in 1998 by Mark Gregston and his wife, Jan, Heartlight is a program that not only modifies behavior, but one that seeks to offer a unique, transformative journey through a relational experience that offers counseling, small group therapy, academics, and activities. We hope you find encouragement as you listen to these stories today.
1: Dorothy, thanks for being a part of the program today. Tell me a little bit about yourself. If you had to describe yourself, how would you describe Dorothy?
2: Um I think I'd describe myself in a kind of brighter manner. I'm very, very outgoing. Yeah. And I really get excited about things pretty easily. Yeah. Um I I really like um, talking to people. Yeah stuff like that. So
1: you do well on radio?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So how did you end up at Heartlight? Tell me about, I mean, because I look at you and I go, here's this beautiful young lady that's sitting across from me that's outgoing, that loves to sing, that is fun-loving. What got you here to Heartlight?
2: Um, well, before this, I was in a rehab um, because I'd had several suicide attempts,
1: and um, what was that all about? What was that from?
2: Well, it was a lot of just I don't know, I just really didn't want to be alive and I felt like I didn't really have anything to live for because of like past experiences.
1: Of what?
2: Um abuse, um mm. problems at home. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just little stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so you end up coming to Heartlight, but what was the crowning blow? I mean, you've had some stuff go on, and then you end up coming. You know, when your dad made the decision, what, what was that decision that he had to make?
2: Um. Well, I remember being at home, and I didn't really. I wasn't really paying attention to anything, Mm -hmm. and. I was so sad and I don't really remember why but I was in my room and I was like I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I was planning to take my life and I I got to the point in self-harm where like I was cold. Wow. Because of like how much blood I had lost and yeah. I screamed for my dad and I I don't really know why I I didn't like, usually I don't scream for him and yeah. stuff like that. I'm usually good about hiding, but something just, like, compelled me to be, like, Dad, I, like, I need you. Like, wow. And he was, like, okay, well, we need to go to the hospital. And I didn't want to go back into rehab and anything after that. And he was, like, well, you need help. And he was, like, okay, well, you can think about it. And I don't really know why, but I, I was, like, okay, well, I need to accept that I need help.
1: Yeah. Was um, that hard?
2: Yeah, it was really hard because I had been so used to hiding and just like covering up everything and people being like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine.
1: Okay. And an outgoing person that's hiding and covering up, it does it almost doesn't fit. Yeah. Do you think that hiding probably kind of stimulated some of that conflict that you had?
2: Yeah, I think so.
1: Wow. Okay. You haven't mentioned mom. Where's mom?
2: Um, Mom's not around. Yeah. Um, she kind of left when I was three, wow. three or four. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. So then you're the only one in your dad's life. hmm So what did that create in your dad? Did he become pretty protective of his little daughter? That yeah. You know?
2: He wouldn't let anything happen to me. He made sure that I got to school safe and that I was, like, happy.
1: Yeah. Um, but evidently that wasn't working because yeah. you weren't happy. No. Wow.
2: And I think I got to the point with myself where I was—I knew he was like going through stuff, and I—I I just kind of hid it because I didn't want him to worry so much. So yeah. I put on a front of like I'm fine, like you don't need to worry about me. And then that's kind of how um, I think I started kind of having a facade.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so your dad's a little overprotective in one way, mm-hmm. um, but wouldn't that be kind of normal? I mean, he's the one raising you, and and all that. Wouldn't that be kind of normal?
2: Yeah, um, sometimes I think it got to an extreme.
1: Really, like how? Mm.
2: Um, well, I I had a like a a phone, but it wasn't a phone. Really, it was more of like it was like its own service, and yeah. it was like child protected, and he could only go into it and he made he was the only one who could put numbers in my phone. Wow.
1: And how old were you at the time? I was 14. Yeah.
2: And my friends had like iPhones that didn't have any limitations on them and I had like a flip phone that like I couldn't even barely text on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little overprotective. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that was causing some of the frustration? I think so. Really? So because if you had that iPhone and and had all those numbers, what do you think would have happened?
2: Well, honestly, I think to an extent it would have gotten out of control. You think? Yeah. Why is
1: that? Or would it Or would it become just normal?
2: I think the level of protection that he put in my life, if it had been like an iPhone with like restrictions or like a smartphone yeah, yeah, with yeah. restrictions, I feel like that would have been a little more understandable. Yeah. Um, But there was no like in between.
1: Yeah. So do you think that sometimes the overprotection caused you to feel – like you're the odd man out. Yeah. Everybody else has got a phone and you got a flip phone from the 1930s, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Or you're carrying around a bag phone and they've got, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, so it made you feel kind of out of it a little bit. Yeah. Well, wow. you think that fed into the suicidal stuff? I mean, little things like that?
2: Yeah. I think I just got so frustrated with like not being like everybody else and then feeling like I had no trust with my dad.
1: Wow. Wow. And so, I mean, because I look at you, you're very outgoing. You weren't real outgoing when you first got here. You were mm-hmm. kind of in another world. Do you remember the first day that you and I met?
2: Um, not really. I, it's yeah, been I, that long. I think
1: you were kind of zoned or something. But yeah. I remember you saying, when I said, well, welcome to Heartlight and, and making some comment, you told, told me you were going to put a curse on me. And, and mm-hmm. I said, well then put a big curse on me. Mm-hmm. Put a, make sure it's a really big one so mm-hmm. everybody can see. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay, where was your head back then? You, when you think back on that, what do you think about?
2: I think I was so lost in who I wanted to be, and I got so caught up in things from rehab. Wow. And, like, who I really wasn't, and that's still stuff I'm trying to figure out here.
1: think that was kind of a little fantasy world?
2: yeah. I tend you to know, do that a lot. You
1: know, when reality doesn't work, people create a fantasy to live in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like me um, when I can't escape from the pressures of life, I create a little haven of mm-hmm. of retreat at home. So I plant a garden, or I do you know. It's mm-hmm. that, I I think it's in one sense it's kind of a normal thing when when realness isn't working. But I, I mean that quickly started to change, and I and I've watched you, and I just go. You know, I I wonder if, when you you think about it, your dad's overprotectiveness made you feel left out, Mm -hmm. and so then reality wasn't working, and so Mm. then it was, well, I'm not going to live, or I'll go into this fantasy world, and I'm going, that seems like it's a million years ago, because you're not anywhere close to that now, are you?
2: I mean, there are some times where I still... I read so much that sometimes I feel like I'm in a book. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody kind of gets caught up in what they want and who they want to be.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but I feel like I have come a long way from that.
1: Well, don't quit reading. I'm not telling yeah. you that. No, I mean, no Reading's no. always a good thing. Where do you think you'd be if you didn't come to Heartlight?
2: I don't think I would be alive, mm. honestly. I told my counselor even that I didn't think I would have seen my 16th birthday. Wow,
1: wow.
2: And it's honestly sometimes surprising how I'm here because of how many attempts I've had and just one should have gone right by then is kind of like what went through my head. And yeah. if I had kept on trying sooner or later, it would have happened. And even though like my options of like self-harm have been taken away, it's gotten to the point where I don't even want to do it anymore. Yeah. And I, I think without Heartlight, I would not be alive.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you are, <laughs> and I'm glad that none of the attempts worked. Um, and I would be saddened to not have known you. Um, Thank you. You are, a, you are an absolute jewel.
2: Thank you. And
1: thanks for being a part of the program today.
2: Of course. Yeah. Cool.
0: Nobody cares more about their teen than moms. But even moms can get discouraged and distracted when watching their teen go through those difficult adolescent years. You can feel alone and helpless, unable to know how to encourage your teen. It can get hard to trust God's goodness in the midst of such hard times. Mark Gregson knows the feeling, that's why he wrote Prayers for My Teen. It's a book of prayers and devotionals to help moms keep their eyes on God and their hearts uplifted even when your teen is struggling. Prayers for My Teen is a great addition to your purse, bedside, glove compartment, or desk drawer as a simple way of reminding you of God's faithfulness to you and love for your family. Get your copy of Prayers for My Teen at ParentingTeenResources.org.
1: Josh, thanks for being a part of the program. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you even ended up at Heartlight.
3: Um, so I've grown up in Los Angeles all my life, and um, in starting in middle school, I got into like, you know, like drinking and drugs, and developed like depression and anxiety. So that's really taken a toll on my life. So um, that's pretty much why I'm here. Like addiction, family problems, depression.
1: Wow. Wow. But grew up in the church. Yeah. Your dad's a pastor. Yep. <laughs> you know, was that kind of odd, you know, when you would start doing things? I mean, middle school is kind of young, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I kind of go, so how old were you?
3: Um, when I started doing that stuff, I was 13. Um, I just wanted to, you know, just fit in and be cool, kind of just... I really didn't want to follow in my parents' footsteps, Um so i feel like they had a different picture of how my life should go yeah and i i just did what i wanted to do
1: yeah and so so you pursue that when did you begin to realize that hey there's a problem here something's not right
3: um and when i was 14 um i really hated life sober and that's when the depression kicked in a lot um i really just hated life pretty much unless i was on something and i just realized that i had like a huge problem then
1: okay so the drug thing becomes a problem but mm-hmm. it's helping you cope with life what was it in mm-hmm. life that was so hard for you
3: um just feeling like i didn't fit in and i like wasn't important stuff like that
1: w- wasn't important where
3: um i just felt like um like i'm kind of worthless like i didn't have many friends at my school, and uh, I just felt like I let my family down a lot. So I would do that to kind of escape. uh,
1: Do you you think that you've always felt that way since even in first and second grade or third grade, or when did all that start?
3: I want to say middle school, Uh, just feeling like, because I was going to a really uh, expensive school where, you know, everybody was wealthy, everybody had it all figured out, and I just felt like a mess. So I kind of used substances to make my, to make me feel better about myself.
1: Was that kind of the escape from things? Definitely, that I, yeah. To that escape. I don't have to deal with the pressures and stuff? Right. And so was the anxiety that you felt really the core of that by just by not fitting in to that group of people?
3: Right. The depression and anxiety part played a major role in why... Um, I would abuse substances so I could escape those feelings.
1: Wow. Wow. Okay, so when did your parents find out that, okay, we got a problem?
3: Um, I remember I was hanging out with my friend, and then um, they just uh, walked in on me. Um, I was smoking in the backyard, and we had a long talk. I, I told him like, I can't handle life sober. Like, I feel, like, worthless. I'm depressed, and... On that point, um, I went to see a doctor to you know, get me prescribed meds, and it was all downhill from there. Wow. Meds weren't working.
1: Wow. Okay, so I mean, your dad's a pastor. Yep. You have a good relationship with him?
3: Yeah, me and my dad can relate a lot. I feel like we understand each other a lot. You love him? Love him, for sure.
1: You feel like he loves you? Yeah. Yeah, and so we're not talking about anything and trashing him by any means, but when no. he heard you say, I can't do life sober, mm-hmm. what was his response? I mean, I can only think about if my son would tell me that. I think I'd cock my head a little bit and, yeah. and go, what is he talking about? How did your dad respond?
3: He, he had no idea that this has been going on, so he was really shocked. And yeah. like, I felt like he was kind of like, wasn't really mad at me, but just disappointed. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So do you feel like um, you deceived him or he ignored you.
3: Um, the family problems didn't play a role in me um, having problems with addiction. It was more of just feeling like an outcast and wow. not fitting in. Was like the main reason.
1: Okay, and, and 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 as I sit here, I I I look at you and I kind of go, how can that not be? You you are the epitome. Of a Southern California young man. I go, I I mean, he's a good looking kid. And if you were ugly, I'd tell you, you know, but I mean, you're a good looking kid. And you just kind of go, to not fit in, Mm -hmm. I go, I would think that you would be the one that would would lead the pack in a sense, you know. Yeah, right. Was there anything that happened somewhere that you kind of go, I can pinpoint it that this is when I really felt this? Somebody said something or did something or.
3: I don't think there was a specific point, but I just felt like I kept getting, um, like I would hang out with some friends, but I feel like they didn't really like me, and I would just go home and just, um, I don't know, just do anything so I could feel different and escape being lonely.
1: Do you think that having a dad as a pastor Mm -hmm. entered into that any...
3: I was kind of embarrassed at school, like my dad's a pastor, because mm. a lot of the kids there, you know, didn't believe, and I felt like it was kind of embarrassing. Wow,
1: wow, not embarrassed of your dad, just embarrassed of, of what he did, right. in, in the position that you were in. Yeah. Okay. So, so the million-dollar question: mm-hmm. What could your parents have done different in this whole thing? How, if, when you look back at it, hindsight, you know, being an an armchair quarterback trying to figure, and you look back. What do you wish would have been different or what would you tell other people to have it different so that you wouldn't have got there could there be anything
3: Mm. i think um it was in seventh grade where i kept getting in trouble at school and they eventually just pulled me out Mm. and that was i became really depressed at that point um i would have just like if i were them i would have stayed at the school and just tried to fix it
1: yeah just is kind of, let's get through it rather than...
3: Take me out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You think you were an embarrassment to your family or to the church or to other people or anything?
3: Yeah, I feel like a disappointment because it's like my dad leads a lot of people and it's just kind of like, I don't know if the people at the church like look down at me because like I'm an addict or I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I know that feeling. My Mm -hmm. son did a similar type of thing, and and, um, that's the feeling I had. But I'm not so sure that that it was right for him to embrace that feeling because I never really – I get the feeling that you go, I can't believe this is happening. But Mm -hmm. I go, my son is just no different than anybody else. And, you know, I mean, everybody makes mistakes. Other people are just better at covering those things up. So, okay. So you get to Heartlight, and and here we go. So you're you're <laughs> transplanted from Southern California to East Texas.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know what's changed since you've been here?
3: Um, I've had a lot of time to think about what what like went wrong at home, and I don't know. Just finding out like what I could do better at home if I yeah. was there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think your parents will probably find that too. Yeah. It's almost that they'll learn some things and go, "Okay, how do I, how do I change the way we do things so that so that it can be successful when you get back home?" Right. Well, cool. Hey, well, thanks for being a part of the program. I mean, it's it, I know it's hard sometimes to share your heart, but I appreciate your honesty and and your willingness to come sit down across from an ugly mustache man and, oh, and no. uh, have him grill you with questions and it's stuff. It's all good. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate
3: mm-hmm. it. No problem.